Welcome to Headliners, the podcast. This is the paper review that won't put you to sleep. You can catch us live every night from 11 on GB News with a panel of top-notch comedians going through the biggest stories hitting the next day's papers. But don't worry, if you miss it, you can catch up here after every show. So let's do it. Welcome to Headliners. Hello and welcome to Headliners. I'm Mark Dolan and this is your first look at tomorrow's front pages in the company of two top comedians tonight, Steve N. Allen and Diane Spencer. Are we enjoying the heat wave? Loving it. <laughs> that was a harumph. Yeah. <laughs> Said no red-headed person ever. Well, I mean, I quite like being indoors and I quite like the dark, so I am enjoying it because I'm also cold-blooded. So it means that I get to be in the dark in my house with the curtains shut and I'm not cold. It's lovely. I do think we've got a health and safety situation with uh, Steve N. Allen's woolen suit. Yeah, I mean, I may regret this later. Um, if I end up sweating on TV again. But I, I'm getting used to the heat because I've converted my shed. As we may have mentioned before, previously, when we've chatted, uh, my shed is now a home studio with a camera and all the microphones, uh, which is a great idea until a heat wave hits. And then I am roasting like I am uh, various vegetables. Yeah, some of those podcasts do sound quite sweaty. <laughs> By the way, can we plug the podcast because it's insanely good? Do I do a podcast? Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> I do a, a, so many. A, yeah, exactly. You've I do a, lot a streaming. Of products, haven't you? You're like Bowie in the eighties. Yeah, keep churning out. Desperate for work. That's what I really. That's what. I, <laughs> that's what it is. Well, look, it's all. It's all on his Twitter and Instagram. Uh, but he is sweating worse than Prince Andrew tonight. <laughs> uh, let's have a look at tomorrow's front pages, and we start with the Daily Mail. And here we go. It's the Tory leadership election. Of course, it's the only show in town. Rishi caught in Cummings' toxic smears storm. Rishi Sunak was forced to deny links to toxic former number 10 advisor Dominic Cummings last night. Mr Cummings has posted poisonous claims online about Mr Sunak's rivals for the Tory leadership campaign. But the former Chancellor's team insisted he had not spoken to the controversial advisor since he left number 10 in late 2020. It begs the question, of course, uh, Cummings, he made Brexit happen. He helped Boris Johnson become Prime Minister. Can he help Sunak get the top job as well? Is Dominic Cummings still the kingmaker? Uh, also on the front page of the Mail, Liz Truss launches her bid to be our next Prime Minister. That's the Foreign Secretary, of course. Also a photograph on the front page of the Mail. It ain't half hot, ma'am. George Swelters on the Centre Court. The Daily Telegraph next, Truss vows, I would cut taxes from day one. That seems to be uh, the uh, familiar theme of uh, most of the uh, leadership uh, election campaigns. Uh, most of the candidates are saying they will cut taxes, except Rishi Sunak, who says we can't afford it. The cupboard's bare. We will have to wait for tax cuts. That's why I'm calling for him to be prime minister, because he's very good at delivering a tough message. If you're curious what I've had to say, check out my big opinion monologue, which is currently on Twitter at GB News. Little boy few. Uh, once again, uh, Prince George there sweltering in the southwest London heat. Also, Zahawi vows to reveal finances after slurs. This uh, is the Chancellor. You've got to kind of keep up to date with what job he's got at the moment. <laughs> used to be uh, the Education Secretary, but he is the Chancellor. Um, and uh, he will happily publish his tax returns to reassure people in the context of that investigation by the HMRC. Same story in The Independent. Zahawi vows to publish 
tax returns if elected PM. And Djokovic claims the crown. The Serbian has won his seventh Wimbledon title and 21st Grand Slam after beating Nick Kyrgios in four sets. As a good final. The Guardian, uh, Tory rivals scramble for supporters and an exclusive from The Guardian. Great journalism, I've got to say. A special investigation. Leak reveals secret lobbying operation to conquer the world. A leaked cache of confidential files has uncovered the inside story of how the Silicon Valley tech giant Uber flouted laws, duped police, exploited violence against drivers and aggressively lobbied governments during its global expansion. The FT, Tories to thin leadership field as rancor rises between rival camps. The Daily Mirror, ambulances in worst ever crisis. Patients wait up to 27 hours at A&E as holdups hit 999 callouts. And a 43 degrees centigrade warning of killer scorcher. There you go, a heat wave certainly hits these shores and it will be with us for some time. Metro next, power block. Starmer and top Tories agree on decision to refuse a new Scottish independence poll. Boris Johnson is, uh, not Boris Johnson, he's no longer prime minister. <laughs> uh, the uh, candidates seeking to replace Boris Johnson have joined forces with Keir Starmer uh, to rule out a second Scottish independence referendum, saying at least 10 years should pass before another poll happens. That's an agreement between Starmer, Jeremy Hunt and Sajid Javid. And last but not least, our good friends at the Daily Star. Helter Swelter, Hawaii Sky Vo. <laughs> Warmer than Honolulu and we don't want to work. A Saharan tongue of fire, which used to be my nickname, making 33 <laughs> degrees centigrade Britain hotter than Hawaii, will tempt 70% of Brits to consider skiving off to sunbathe. And 41 degrees centigrade is predicted by the weekend. Yikes, say the Daily Star. And those are your scorching hot headlines. Monday's Telegraph has uh, Liz Truss, the Foreign Secretary, vowing to cut taxes from day one and Nadim Zahawi vowing to reveal his finances after slurs. Who wants to have a go at this one? Um, well, um, the Daily Ter Telegraph uh, has Did got... Did you nearly call them the Terrograph? <laughs> <laughs> Were you editorialising, Spencer? I think I was. What a Freudian slip. By the way, Bango's your quirky weekend column. <laughs> Spencer's World. Spencer's World is all about how you live, like, out, out of the sunlight. It's very popular if you um, come from under a rock. <laughs> so um, there is an exclusive, and it's all about the anti-Rishi mucky memo, which has been setting the Tory watch WhatsApp groups alight. So a 424-page salvo, uh, which I looked up is a rapid rate of artillery fire, has been gunning down uh, Rishi Sunak. And it's been spread like wildfire through the Tory WhatsApp groups. So they're predicting that every single Tory MP has read this by now. And they even called the title of it, Get Ready for Rishi. So people who would have been 
looking to vote for Rishi and support him, because apparently about 30 MPs are on his side for the leadership bid, would have definitely read that. But it is just taking him down, taking him down, and it calls him sorts of names. It says that he is a liar, a schoolboy. It says he's uh, full of arrogance, indolence, uh, ignorance, like all the worst kind of reindeer. Nothing like the dwarf. previous incumbent. Yeah, oh, nothing oh, like oh, that, oh, no. A liar? Could you imagine such a thing? <laughs> no, I mean, that would be ridiculous. And it's got and it, all the, about him breaking manifesto promises, you know, like, like, like if you went back on a major deal you'd signed or something like that, or a trade agreement. So um, basically this thing massively attacks Rishi and, and it, it's clearly trying to stop him from being sort of put in place as the potential favourite, because I think he is the, the bookie's favourite. I think you can only get four to one on him. Um, but the thing is, this is an unnamed author. And my question is, is this... Russian meddling. I know that they have been saying that it is coming from the Thatcherite wing of the party, but I genuinely do believe that there is still a lot of meddling from foreign powers in our elections. And this is a very crucial time for the UK, and Boris has been very popular in the Ukraine. So I just have questions like that, because uh, uh, tomorrow, uh, on Monday, the chairman of the 1922 committee is going to announce the timetable for this leadership campaign. So it's weird that this kind of, like, mad... Like, it's a, it's a rush on Auntie Rishi, mm. which makes it sound like we're all running to our favourite auntie for sweets or something. But, like, there's, it's an anti-Rishi rush, and it's happening now. Uh, why now? Because they're about to announce the leadership thing. Or is it... Loyalists to Boris Johnson seeking revenge. I think there'll be loads of it. it. It's different camps for different reasons. What I love about this story, and some of the others we'll talk about in a bit, for ages we've known that whenever there's a leadership contest for the Conservatives, something strange happens. The names that we know, the people who are the favourites, never end up getting it. Why is that? That's because if there's one thing they do well, it's stab in the back like you wouldn't believe. <laughs> Maybe this time we've got slightly more transparency about it because we're seeing how it happens, but it's so effective. As soon as he sticks his head up, oh, a bit of a favourite, is he? Let's go through the file. What have we got on Rishi and Send? Yeah, you're right, they're calling him a liar. They're also pointing out that um, it, there was a clip that's been going around on social media where he says he doesn't have any working-class friends. If anything, he's just being honest there, isn't he? That's, yeah. That'll never catch on. He shouldn't, he shouldn't be that. Um, <laughs> but I love that this is happening on WhatsApp now. Basically, the, the people who are in charge of this nation are cyberbullying like they're teenagers and they don't like one of the group. This is unbelievable. It's true. I'd have muted them by now myself because it gets very boring. Uh, Dominic <laughs> Cummings, uh, you know, I think will feature in this contest behind the scenes. Uh, for months now, he's been very critical of the Prime Minister mm. and he's been always positive about Rishi Sunak. So he, he was instrumental in, in making Brexit happen uh, as the mastermind behind Vote Leave. The mastermind behind Boris Johnson's surprising election victory in 2019. Can he do the, the treble and get Rishi Sunak into number 10? I'm not sure because there's overlap in those first two. It's about using Brexit. My comment now won't be whether it's good or bad. It's about how you can use it to uh, whip up a vote, to galvanise people. I think maybe that ship sailed. It should have done. I'm sure I've heard the phrase, someone got Brexit done. So that's done, isn't it? So to try and sew it into the next candidate, oh, we need them to get it done, we've got to move on to different things. Cost of living should be the thing they're, they're fighting over. Would you like to address Diane's theory yeah. that Russian involvement could be a factor? 
Uh, and if so, that would tell us that Rishi Sunak would be very hard on Russia and therefore probably should be Prime Minister. If, if the Russians don't want Sunak, then we probably want Sunak. No, I think that's the, the first mistake we make is to, to then work out, oh, what do they want? They just want to shake the boat up a bit. In general, it's about disturbance. It's very true. Yes. Just cause a bit of a mess. And if we're infighting, we're not paying attention to things that they might want us to not notice. Who knew? Well, from one Tory candidate with a tax scandal, I should say, over his head to another, not a sex scandal. Um, let's have a look at this story in Monday's Times, Steve. Yep, so Nadim Zahawi's doing well. Quick, Rolodex, what have we got? Oh, it turns out <laughs> some kind of issues with his tax. I mean, not only that, later in the story, there's issues of fraud in there as well. But at the moment, your main headline is there's some offshore tax investigations that have to be done. This was previously looked into by the National Crime Agency. They didn't find that there was enough information to call it a crime but there was enough information to hand it to HMRC when he becomes the Chancellor. Because it's a bad look, isn't it? If, if the tax man is having to investigate the Chancellor, it's, it's not going to look good in the, in the uh, front pages. And actually, there is an issue, because as soon as we talk about people moving their money offshore to avoid paying tax, at some point in that argument, someone will say, well, you can't blame them for doing it. If you're not happy with it, close the loopholes. Oh, who should we speak to about closing the loopholes? I'll just get the Chancellor. Wait a minute, it's the guy who loves the loopholes. <laughs> so there is a reason to look into this uh, a little bit more. Um, I mean, do you want someone who loves a, a loves a, a loophole and is pretty swift at avoiding uh, tax, like Neo in the Matrix? Is that the kind of thing we want? I mean, the the Telegraph, it's uh, sorry, the Times itself actually says that he's the second richest MP. So isn't that a good person to be in charge of the nation? Well, not if it was achieved through these means. Now, there's also uh, questions over the licensing of T-shirts that he made when he had, had a business that he didn't have the licences for, but then handed Tesco some paperwork that had signatures on that were faked. I mean, all of this, straight out the Rolodex, trying to ruin someone's chances. Blimey, as long as they weren't those really ugly tie-dye T-shirts, I don't mind. Because that's, that's a crime against fashion, isn't it? Oh, my God, you'd have been, like, the first person I'd have said, oh, no, Mark will definitely... He'll have a tie-dye T-shirt, he'll have one of those ones that changes colour when you, like, like put your hand on it and stuff. The thing I find interesting about this time story is that it paints... Mr. Zahawi as, like, leaving this mass destruction in his wake. He's like the guy who always gets away. Like, he's left behind a trail of collapsed firms, bust firms. They've lost, like, 1.3 billion. They've collapsed and, like, lost... Like, all the workers have gone out of work. But he somehow... Zahawi's got away! And, like, he just keeps getting away and he keeps making more money but just leaving this, like, trail of destruction. That's how this reads. Wow. OK, well, it certainly looks like he's on a sticky wicket at the moment, but it will be a long race with a winner not expected to be declared until late August or early September. Monday's Mail next, and sticking with our delightful theme of tax, it looks like footballers are also embroiled in their own scandal, Diane. Yes, so, a record 329 professional footballers are under investigation for suspected tax avoidance. So, right, this is amazing. So, um, we all know that football is dodgy as you like. I mean, I think it is. You can't charge that much for a sausage roll and say that nobody's, like, making a little bit on the side. And what has been happening is that um, players have been setting up corporations, so when their images are being used, instead... Uh, whether their images are being used, instead of, like, being paid directly to the footballer, which would then incur, like, a 40% income tax mm. um, fee to HMRC, instead of that, they are paying themselves, so they only have to pay 19% corporation tax. So that's one of the ways that they've been avoiding tax. And, again, there's a difference between tax avoidance and tax evasion. Yeah. 
Yeah, because one of them is using completely legal loopholes and the other one is running away with your books under your arm. And uh, like we already know that footballers make so much money and their agents make so much money, but they've also been paying sort of agents fees to their, they call them sister sides. So um, they don't name who this premiership football club is, but if you type in premiership football team sister sides, you get a list of about seven. So you can whittle it down for their armchair detectives. So, um, and they've been paying their like European sister sides the agents' fees for these massive international transfers, and there should be a tax on that because it's a business transaction. So the, the, we're yeah. basically being diddled out of a. The British people are being diddled out of a lot of tax by the football people. Well, yes, you have the spirit of the law and the letter of the law, and mm. these public figures who are very privileged and paid tens, if not hundreds, of thousands of pounds a week. Uh, surely make enough money uh, just to pay the correct rate of tax, which the rest of us mere mortals actually do, Steve. Yeah, there is that where you think, look how much you're getting, why do you need to try and be more efficient? You certainly... Especially when you turn up to charity events and turn up to schools and do loads of kind of integration in the community-type workshop stuff. Yeah, and paying food, tax food, would help the Food turning up to food, <laughs> food banks and being very groovy, which is, is all positive, but if you're not paying all the tax you're supposed to take... Yeah. But then part of me, and I think this is my bias, looks at this and straight away has sympathy. Straight away, part of my mind goes, oh, they've probably been given bad advice. And I think it's a bias that we all have, because we kind mm. of presume that footballers might not be the sharpest tool in the shed. I'm obsessed with sheds. I mean, it's not true, because... <laughs> what was it? Uh, Frank Lampard, <laughs> member of Mensa. I think this is just the Rooney effect, that you look at it and think, oh, there's no way they came up with this plan on their own. Bless. No. But actually, maybe they did. Yes, indeed. Uh, OK, well, look, uh, that one is clearly going to uh, grow and grow as a story. That could be a sporting scandal one to watch The Guardian next and another scandal of uber proportions, Steve. Nice. Um, time to get the app and give it a one star because there's uh, leaked files and The Guardian have this. Now, you may have, some people may hate The Guardian, but there's one thing they do. They churn through paperwork, don't they? The number of uh, files in this is 124,000 documents. They say documents. Some of them are IM messages and things like that, so short emails. But it's looking at the aggressive global expansion of Uber back in the days when it was the first uh, co-founder, uh, Travis Klanick, um, and some of the stuff in there. Messages where they saying, oh, we're illegal. They know that they're breaking laws. And they absolutely didn't care. This, this is part of the problem of having something that's based on like that type A personality, psychopaths in business are really good. And then if you know you want to be a disruptor, you can cause problems. They've uh, been up close with, with mayors and politicians and prime ministers. I'm not sure what they offered them. Couldn't have been a free ride. You know, they've, they've basically focused on people who already have a car provided for them. So that's not what's in there. I mean, maybe it's the old dirty money. The article, interesting, but absolutely huge. I will say that um, you can get basically a lot of this. They made a TV show on Amazon Prime about this. Isn't that interesting? Amazon teaching us how a big market disruptor might be evil. Who'd have thought? Yeah, who'd have thunk it? I mean, the, the issue we've got, Diane, is I, I, I think I'm tempted to defend... Uber in some ways, and not for this malpractice or any corruption, of course, but attempts to make Uber a more generous, fair company has actually impacted drivers in many ways. I've spoken to lots of Uber drivers who said that by forcing them to become employees rather than contractors, uh, they actually have more costs, that they've got less freedom, they can't choose their hours to the same extent. And not every Uber driver was happy that they were brought into line and made employees. The issue with Uber is it has democratised taxi travel. Because, I mean, if you're to get rid of, an, of a business model like Uber, what are you left with? Very expensive minicabs and black taxis.
But this is an incredible story about world domination and infiltration of multiple governments by a company that did not stop at all. They weaponized their drivers. They said, no, go out, get violent. If they get violent against us, we can just put it out into the press and That's say, look right. about how That's Uber right. drivers are being treated. This is absolutely incredible how they purposefully skirted around mayors. They skirted around the different people that they were supposed to apply to, mm. to get to the person who could make the decision. And then they basically, it's implying that they just plied them with money and treats and yeah, you're right. I mean, like, good grief. I mean, all I get from from Uber is, oh, sorry, we're not going to pick you up now. We've given up. We tried three times. <laughs> we tried. It, it is true. Uh, nothing, nothing beats a ride in a black taxi. <laughs> that. That's a very fair point. Uh, last but not least for this section, um, let's talk about this story in the Daily Mail. And our first story on Boris of the day. Remember him? Already relegated from our top stories. But what's he up to, Diane? Well, his name is Johnson. Boris. Johnson, and he is going to be parachuted into Kyiv as the special envoy. Uh, they're going to keep him on, and they are going to make him the special envoy to Russia. And I think it's quite a positive thing, because he kept flying out to Ukraine anyway. He was supposed to, like, do stuff here that he didn't do. He's like, oh, no, sorry, I got to go to Ukraine. And, like... When we had the pandemic, he was good for the pandemic, he was good for Brexit, because you kind of need somebody who's a little bit flamboyant, a little bit of a cheerleader. Well, we've kind of got through that now. We're a little bit more calm, and now we're like, you did what during that time? Like, I'm glad that you were there cheering us on, but you did all of that stuff? No, no, no. You can go. We need somebody a bit sensible in now. But Ukraine, they are still in a, a whole heap of trouble. So it's kind of nice that, like, Boris will still be there, and, and he's already made all the connections, and he's already talking to people, and he's suggesting, come on, guys let's take our tops off and take photos on horses. So he's already, like, got the connections with people, so hopefully he will do some good. Although whoever the new Prime Minister will be will hate the idea of Boris Johnson <laughs> on the international <laughs> stage. Yeah. Um, photo opportunities, <laughs> making the headlines. It's our next Prime Minister's worst nightmare. And I also I think, what other story is yet to break that Boris is trying to find a way out of the country? <laughs> Already lining up the jobs. There's a million dollar question. Coming up after the break, petrol theft on the rise, the battle to keep kids away from pornography, and how woke was the Roman Empire? Find out after this. Welcome back to Headliners with me, Mark Dolan. A first look at tomorrow's big stories. In the company tonight of two fantastic comedians, two good friends of mine, Steve N. Allen and Diane Spencer. The Express newspaper now, and if only our police forces were as on it as HMRC, all our problems would be solved, wouldn't they, Steve? They would be, but they're not, because half of the UK police forces are failing in their basic duties. First question has to be, all right, then, what basic, what basic duties are the, these police forces failing at? Answering 999 calls. Well, what are they doing then? Let them go to voicemail. I, I've not, thankfully, had to call 99 for a while. Well, no, it's, um, really, it's actually very good, because when they say, um, if, it's, if it's a stabbing, press 1. Oh, good. Uh, if it's a burglary, press 2. You know, it, it's quite, you know... <laughs> Your call is important to us, and while you're being mugged, you can listen to Greensleeves. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, also on the list of basic um, functions, basic duties, it says investigating crimes. 
Well, if you're not doing that, what are you? You're not a police force. You're, you're more like a, almost a tribute act to the full Monty. If, I don't see what they're actually doing. Now, one of the uh, police forces they've looked at in the article in the Express, Wiltshire Police, one of the six forces placed into special measures, uh, has poor performance and was found to be inadequate at responding to public and protecting vulnerable people. Now, I don't want to be regionalist here, but I'm about to be. Wiltshire? How many crimes are there in Wiltshire? You imagine it's, it's just tractor-based, isn't it? I, I used to live there. I used to work on a radio station down there. It didn't seem like it was the, the hotspot of difficult-to-solve crimes. Also on the list, you've got um, uh, the Metropolitan Police and Special Measures, Cleveland, Gloucestershire, Staffordshire and Greater Manchester. So if you do want to do some robbings, I would strongly suggest you head down there. I do think that, Diane, the public sector is in crisis across the board. So there are people very upset with the NHS, not, not blaming the individuals like nurses and doctors, but they can't get a face-to-face -face GP appointment. They're mm. waiting for these elective treatments. Uh, and I think it brings, you know, it brings a cloud over the NHS. It almost brings them into disrepute. We're seeing the same with police, aren't we? Yeah, this is uh, immensely alarming that they just seem to be permanently on Operation Base Tan and they're just kind of like strolling around, soaking up rays. I mean, Wiltshire is where they actually um, reported a non-crime hate incident because an like, 11-year-old boy got called short. Yeah. Like, and it's like, why are you wasting your time with that when you aren't solving any of the serious crimes? There's, I don't know what has happened... But clearly the wheels have come off the cart somehow. Well, yeah, let's stay on a similar theme because in the mail, we've got a story about fuel going cheap if you want to risk jail time, Diane. Yes, so um, weird thing, as the fuel prices <laughs> are rising, rises in theft are happening at fuel forecourts. Um, so look out for people with soggy pockets. Now, there is also a change in how people are stealing the fuel. Uh, so, apparently, if you sort of pull up, fill up your tank and then you drive away, that's a criminal offence. However, if you pull up, fill up your tank and then you go, oh, gosh, do you know what? I have no means to pay. I'm not encouraging this. But you say, oh, gosh, I have no means to pay. That becomes a civil case. And then they, apparently, some four courts get you to sign a memorandum saying, I promise I'll pay for my fuel in a week. <laughs> but because the fuel is so high, the thefts have just massively increased. I mean, thievery is not a good thing. It can impact your life far beyond the moment when you steal the fuel. But it doesn't really surprise me that this is happening now. If people are already, already going to steal fuel and the prices have just gone through the roof. Well, a friend of mine uh, sent me a photograph of cheese that had a security tag on it in the supermarket. Right. Um, cost of living crisis, petrol, cheese, everything's an expensive commodity now. Yeah, but no, surely no one's selling that down the pub. You imagine people nick stuff, because razor want, blades always used to be I want to, to apologise. I bought half a pound of Cathedral City earlier today at my <laughs> Weatherspoons. <laughs> from, uh, yeah, Big Jim. I will say his, this, che his cheese was... Uh, it was humming, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was. Yeah, he, gave it, he gave it... I saw it in the toilets. Because, obviously, that's where you do <laughs> illicit deals. That's when he showed it to me. That's when... Uh, I'll say, I'll say, I actually looked at it. I said, I'll take as much of that as you've got, <laughs> Big Jim. <laughs> well, on the petrol thing, though, I will say, look, um, firstly, the, the amount of money that's been nicked, or the worth of it, it means... Do we know that more petrol's been nicked, or is it just that the same amount's been nicked, but, my word, it's more expensive these days? Yeah. But if you are going to nick it, um, I'd suggest... And you're not doing the telling them first. If you are going to drive off... <laughs> 
I'd do it in Wiltshire, um, <laughs> Cleveland, <laughs> Gloucestershire, Staffordshire, Greater Manchester. Steve N. Allen's Crime Club. There you go, a new format for GB News. The Times Next and the battle against porn rages on in our classroom, Steve. Yeah, it causes problems with expectations. It can uh, change what you, how you think things are going to... I mean, not even just in terms of the plumber turning up when they... Well, I it. don't let Mrs Dolan see porn because I don't want to give her any ideas. Good. Best not to. But it can apparently change what you think uh, bodies should be like. So now school children are going to be given lessons on female anatomy to counter the damage caused by pornography and social media. So you think, well, surely they're not watching that much porn. Here's the stats. More than half of 11 to 13-year-olds and two-thirds of 14 and 15-year-olds have seen some uh, pornographical images. Most of them say they stumbled across it accidentally. And I remember being 13. I would have said that too or I would have come up with some lie about looking at tractors or something stupid. But uh, separate research has found that more than a third of teenagers who have seen porn then start to worry about themselves. How do you get the message out there saying, no, you don't want to look like the people in these things? You don't want uh, lips that make you look like a goldfish getting rid of the green mould off the side of the tank. You don't want... The, you can be natural and still like your body. Now, their solution is to have lessons where boys and girls will be shown pictures of um, the downstairs business. And uh, one of them, it says, inclu including hair, which means, I guess, they're also uh, teaching about history. 1980s, I remember it well. My favourite um, musical. But, the, <laughs> the, but that's how they've got to fix it. That's, these lessons are there to say, no, the stuff you see online, that's not what we're all like. Have a look at these. I can't disagree that that's a good idea. Can you, Diane? I, I can, because what I worry about is when they make blanket rules that apply to every single school. Mm. And hear me out on this. If you sent out this um, uh, questionnaire and you ask children in one school how many of you have seen pornography aged from 11 to 13, for example, in one school, yes, it might be a third, but in another school, it could be zero. And if you change the law, suddenly every single school is going to be showing this and it might be a bit early for some kids, is all I'm saying. I just, yeah. I just hope that there's a more delicate approach. And I think it's strange that it's only the female anatomy that they're showing because surely the boys have unrealistic expectations as well because everybody is different and we're all quirky in our own way. Yeah. And also, it makes me question, well, what kind of pornography are they watching? Because if they're watching sort of a category which is like amateur, then you're most likely going to see normal bodies. But if you're watching something where everybody's sort of, you know, inflated and extended, then of course you're going to look different. So um, I think that th this is an interesting sort of way to tackle this problem, but I just hope they don't make these massive blanket rules uh, because I do worry about kids and I worry about them being overexposed to things. Yeah, I think that's a really fair point and it was a, a theme raised in last night's show, Josh Howie, one of our brilliant uh, headliner stars, whose who's comments about the sexualisation of children at school went viral. So do take a look at our Twitter feed, at GB News, for that one. Uh, a remarkable, uh, remarkable bit of TV that was. The Guardian now, and as Julius Caesar said, I came, I saw, I went woke. Or did he, Diane? <laughs> 
So this is an interesting story. Uh, a UK, the UK school Latin course is going to be overhauled to reflect the diversity of the Roman world, which I can um, sort of understand um, because uh, when you read sometimes history books, uh, they will have been created by a certain set of people at a certain period of time, and they might show Romans as lots of white people walking around. <laughs> I don't think they were. So um, they're going to just give them a revamp. And what I like is that Stephen Hunt, a Latin scholar at the University of Cambridge has said every textbook needs a revamp every now and then which I like and he said you know it's been exist in existence since the 1970s so why not give it a bit of a zhuzh and they're actually trying to make it more realistic more appropriate to what was going on in Roman times and they want to sort of give different angles on like the experiences of the slaves, for example, instead of just sort of stereotyping the slaves as this is the happy slave, this is the unhappy slave. They want to actually say, well, this is the story of that person. So I understand that. Um, but this is kind of weird because um, only about 10,000 students sit GCSE Latin each year. It's you know, it's, it's interesting that it's still taught. I guess those people want to go on to become doctors or something, because you have a lot of Latin in doctoring, I suppose. You do. Canicest in aquarium. And, um, <laughs> the, no? Uh, <laughs> but it's, it's different between the independent schools and the state schools. So um, it's only taught in 3% of state schools, whereas um, sort of 49% of independent schools will, will teach Latin. So, yeah. Yeah. Latin is very important in medicine, isn't it? And you're very proud of your rectum, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, what, what? <laughs> Caveat emptor, that's what yeah. I'll say. On I, looked, I looked up your, your rectum. Did you? Yeah. What? I looked it up. Mm. OK. <laughs> the... But I totally disagree with this story. Firstly, what's this? That, that learning Latin might be old and outdated? Come on, how are you trying to make learning Latin a new thing? You look, you're right, it's not many people take the GCSE. They're all posh people. They're all posh schools. Apparently the government tried to get state school. I mean, I went to a state school comprehensive. We didn't touch any Latin with a barge pole. Um, but which now means I can't go on a holiday to ancient Rome. But other than that, it's just learning a language so you can show off how clever you are to other people who are posh. Yeah, that's right. Uh, fascinating. Uh, well, look, uh, that is an interesting story, and we'll get to our next one now, which also caught my eye. Everyone's favourite royal is back in tomorrow's mail, Steve. Yeah, so we, <laughs> apparently we were going to get a, uh, a Prince Harry book, a tell-all, but it might be delayed because it's not been included on a list of Penguin's new releases. Well, I'm gutted. I've ordered it on Amazon. I'm waiting. I bet you were, but no, I bet you were, because you fall into the category of people who say you don't like him, but, my word, you spend a lot of human time paying attention to what he... Uh, I, without doing. Prince Harry, the, I don't have a show. Yeah, basically. That's a section Nothing. of Mark's brain called Frogmore Cottage, because that's where <laughs> Harry lives. No, exactly, rent-free. <laughs> without Harry and Meghan, my show is basically... Blimey, it's hot today, isn't it? <laughs> have you ever tried just ignoring them because your life gets a lot better. These are royal people, so they're famous people without even a good reason to be famous. And he, he was going to write a tell-all book. No wonder it's delayed. A tell-most you could do, but a tell-all, mm -hmm. that's going to take a long time, isn't it? And then you've got to get it proofed. He, so, he's in a yeah. difficult spot, isn't he? Because he wants to get on with his life, which I think is entirely his right. You know, he, he wants to be normal, he wants to look after his family and have a career. And, and I think good luck to him. But he's also... Still, he holds a royal title. He's uh, the Duke of um, Stuff. Sussex. Duke yeah. of Sussex. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and therefore, it's still the royal title. So he wants to lead the royal family, but he, he can't really, can he? I don't think he actually wants to. I don't, I don't think he knows what he wants at all.
and I am not surprised that they haven't announced this book because they're supposed to be doing a podcast for Spotify. They're supposed to be doing a series for Netflix. And he has failed to do any of these things, and he's supposed to be writing a book. He's producing no content whatsoever. His only content is chatting to Oprah, and that's when he does his tell-alls, which are, like you say, tell-sums, and they're not that good. And then Megan's like version of events, some recollections may vary. I don't think Harry actually knows what he wants now that he's been pulled out of the royal family because he's not in opposition anymore. When he was in the royal family, he was like, mm. I want to be the head guy. I want to be the thing. I want to be the thing. And so Megan's like, well, just bust out of it. Let's just bust free. And they bust free. And now he's like, I, I don't know what to do now. Although, I mean, he does say in this book he, he would be writing about the highs, the lows, the mistakes and the lessons. So I'm sure there'll be a whole section on that Nazi uniform. If that doesn't happen, <laughs> I mean, maybe you're right. He doesn't know what he's on about. Uh, he's, he hasn't produced any podcasts. Uh, maybe he should do some in your shed. <laughs> he's, a, he's invited, because I don't have a problem like you. I don't obsess. I don't care either way. They're only royals. Uh, what, what you need to do, though, is uh, you need to install some air conditioning. I'm thinking of shed air conditioning. I've looked into it. Uh, the problem is the exhaust vent, because it's... I mean, that's how the Death Star went the wrong way. You've got to be careful about this. But that's where all <laughs> the spiders come in. I've had it sealed. This is a sealed shed. No spiders are getting in. Or air, as it turns out, and he's looking into that. But now I need to... Uh, if I have a vent, next thing you know, the big spiders will be in. I've, um, I've never been more grateful for an ad break. Uh, coming up, <laughs> the frog army that could be an environmental disaster, the snakes on the loose around the UK, and the Johnny Depp story making new noise there about his defamation case. It's a great story, Johnny Depp, uh, in the next section. We've saved our best till last. See you in two. I'm Mark Dolan, and this is Headline as your first look at tomorrow's papers. With me helping uh, do just that are the brilliant comedians Steve N. Allen and Diane Spencer, stars, of course, of Ministry of Offence, which is back on Saturday night at 8 o'clock, always unmissable. Or you can catch up on our brilliant GB News app. Lovely to have your company if you're watching or listening on DAB+. The Guardian next, and here's a story concerning comics at the Fringe, Diane. <laughs> it's going to be new soon, won't it? <coughs> it well, once my cold clears up. So, um, post-Brexit rules... That sounded like Omicron to me. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You had no, a top no, notes no. of Omicron. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's an undertone of Omicron. Mm, no, there's a hint get, of maybe Delta. Two red lines? <laughs> You're trying to kill us? No, I'm going all retro. I've had, like, it was a cold. Yeah, I'm like... Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. She dresses like she's in the past well, and she got, catches actually, the old viruses. I've got a, a local drug dealer that's so good, he can get you Kent variant if you want. Oh, <laughs> yes! Sign Kent me up. Variant, which is like golden oldie now. <laughs> yeah, hard to get. Back in the day. <laughs> so, um, the Edinburgh Festival director, and this is, I should stress, this is not the Edinburgh Fringe where I will be appearing, uh, but this is the Edinburgh International Festival. So their director has basically said that the post-Brexit visa rules are a disaster for the arts because it means that it's uh, very difficult for um, English uh, uh, and Scottish, but British people to then tour into... Uh, Europe, because previously you sort of showcase your piece and then uh, the people from Europe will come and they'll watch you at the festival and they go, oh, this is wonderful, we must have it in our theatre. And then you go and you Jamaicans, go on tour. Jamaicans go to the Edinburgh Fringe. All the time, it's very popular. Um, and 
this, but the issue is, is that uh, obviously the, the visas are an issue, and also the fuel is an issue. Like, so shipping over scenery is a problem, and then shipping artists back is a problem. So basically, there's lots of problems. And this person has said that um, he's just like, just please, can we have some kind of visa waiver for the arts? Because that is the most important thing that needs to be sold. They can't stop the theatre. You know, it's not like there's anything else that needs to get through, like lorries and sausages. Yeah, old Spencer's got to have her sausages. Elton John's <laughs> been beating a drum about issues for artists, musical artists, in relation to uh, the new rules. Uh, there needs to be some kind of ceasefire between the EU and the UK on issues like this, don't you think? Oh, this issue has got nothing to do with anything that we've ever talked about. No one voted for Brexit thinking, do you know what? I do want to stop artists touring. It, no, it's <laughs> off the page. There are good reasons or bad reasons or whatever. So come up with something that just lets that carry on. Because yeah. no, one's, no one's benefiting from this. Don't you think that when the heat has come out of the Brexit argument and when we get to the next generation of politicians in Brussels and in the UK that weren't involved in Brexit, that didn't make it happen, uh, that there will be a more pragmatic relationship. Well, you'd hope so, because I suppose there'd be no reason to cling on to those battles. I noticed in some of the newspapers, actually on social media as well, people are listing which Conservative candidates for leaders said things about Brexit back in the day. Look how we're making that four-year-old argument still pertain to today. So some people are going to drag it on for a while. Um, but you're right, at some point there'll come a stage where the politicians re will realise, oh, we can sort out visas. If there's one thing politicians are good for, surely it's paperwork. Well, they are indeed. That's what they were born to do. Uh, let's move on now to the Daily Mail. And obesity seems to be affecting the poorest communities, Steve. Yes, more than half of children in some areas are overweight. That's uh, per capita, I guess, because... Um, more than half if it's measured by per kilo. But according to the shock figures, the threshold of at least 50% of year six pupils being overweight or obese has now been passed by at least two local authorities, South Tyneside and Tower Hamlets. And there is that link. This is the thing where you, you see the statistical link between obesity and poverty. And at some point, someone will say on some discussion show, well, it's actually cheaper to eat healthily. And that's all right, we're all very well saying that sentence, but empirically, we're seeing the actual real-life evidence of poorer equals fatter. So your claim's not actually managed, either being heard or being fully uh, understanding all of the different variables. There is something that means when you get a downturn in money, you get bad outcomes in terms of weight. And they, they point out that because it's been the pandemic, it's not to do with being sedentary. I think weight is more about what you eat. It really is. I think mm. that's a red herring. Yeah. But well, I think exercise is great for mental health and it's, it's good for overall health. But in relation to weight loss or the accumulation of body fat, it's very much what you eat, as you see. Yeah. And the chairman of the National Obesity Forum, Tam Fry... Very fat man. Makes, fat man. Makes, just makes me hungry, even uh, the name. Yeah, well, Fry, baby, I know him well. Uh, I'd have some fried what a, what a glutton he is. He's like, oh, do you want some Monster Munch? I'm like, oh, you oh. represent the National Obesity Forum. He's a total hypocrite. Always oh, snacking. Oof, yeah. Loves a snack, does our fry. But he does. Um, no, but, but he makes, he makes this, this point. Yeah, it, it's gone up during COVID. But I think yeah. it's more to do with the emotional impact in our life of the yeah. lo lockdown that then means we eat bad food. And also, do you know what we've done? We've, we've allowed now the food industry to be responsible for the national diet. So rather than actual potatoes and 
steak and sausages and, f you know, what you would call food, mm. it's products, isn't it? Stuff in boxes. The big change was uh, when food stopped being made by farms and started being made in factories. And there would have been a stage where you would have heard that sentence, food made in factories, what, where pipes are from, and you would have thought, that doesn't make any sense. But now, all the food's from factories. Yeah, too right. Uh, a deep concern, and I think probably the biggest crisis facing this country, if I'm honest. Uh, just my view. Speaking of food, here's good news in tomorrow's mail for local produce, Diane. So the Daily Mail have gone with Save the Dorset Knob and Rutland Rippin. More staples of British regional cuisine deserve to be granted protected status, say MPs. Mm. So um, the regional foods uh, need to be given the same sort of protected status as, for example, champagne only comes from a certain region of France, which is called Champagne. Yeah. So um, you know that it's the official thing or that the you're Italian, drinking. Or the Italian town of Prosecco. Exactly. <laughs> you got it in one. It's Turin, isn't it? <laughs> Am I um, right? So yeah, there's this yeah. list of foods, and they want to increase the number of protected products from 81 to 200 by 2030. And the idea is that then you sort of increase the value of those foods because then when people check the labels, the theory goes that you go, oh, no, this is a, a proper actual, like, Wensleydale cheese. This is this is exactly the right thing. So you can't say that it's a Wensleydale cheese if it's not from this particular place. Jersey, royal potatoes, Cornish pasties. So what on earth are you going to call a pasty if it's not a Cornish pasty? Well, I know. A pasty. You really can just call it a pasty. You can't call it, you can't call it like a meat parcel. No, but they, no, you wouldn't have to go jump through that hoop. <laughs> You're sure? <laughs> My baked meat parcel. Yeah. <laughs> could I, yeah, you could get a little one. Could I have a meat envelope, please? I'm not very hungry. Um, so that's what they're. Uh, um, that's what they're doing. Yeah, because apparently only 10% of UK shoppers, though. So this is interesting. Only 10% of UK shoppers look for protected status labels. So only 10% of UK shoppers are like, no, I want the actual proper Jersey royal potatoes. Whereas 52% um, of Italians and 40% of French consumers seek out the EU equivalent. I mean, that 90%, <laughs> I don't care where it's from. Oh, this food, it's not from the correct county. Mm. There's an example in there where they talk about the Melton Mowbray pork pie. Oh, that's right, I just eat pork pies. So they're still a thing. You just, I mean, the only thing that they it's should put... It's not called put... a pork pie, it's called a meat bucket. Is it? Oh, With a meat... lid, a lidded meat bucket. My meat parcel, your meat bucket. This is an interesting <laughs> chat. The only thing that they should actually put... You say tomato. They, uh, they should probably, like, patent the, uh, the Kent variant, your dealer. It's authentic Kent variant. Mr. I Zed. To, I want it to be actually Kent. If that's not from Thanet, you can send it back, mate. <laughs> right, now you're talking. Uh, yes, indeed. Uh, well, Steve's baked meat parcel. <laughs> so, it's, it's almost as good as Big Jim's cheese. Uh, let's go look at The Guardian now. And after appearing on stage with Jeff Beck, Johnny Depp, the actor, has decided to pen some songs of his own about his recent ordeal, Steve. Yeah, he's written some songs about this defamation trial against Amber Heard. He's written some... Oh, what rhymes with Heard? You know what rhymes with Heard. <laughs> we all know what rhymes... What rhymes with Sheets will be the next question. Um, there's a track due to be released on February the... Uh, sorry, uh, Friday the 15th of uh, July. It's from this new album. Um, some of the songs include... This is a song for Miss Hedy Lamar. Other songs include Sad Beep Parade. You want to buy it already, don't you? Yes. And it's kind of odd that he's got a spin-off from a court case. Yeah. Because ordinarily you'd be on a reality <laughs> TV show and then you get an album and a tour. But yeah. he's got an album and a tour off the back of a defamation case. That's incredible. It seems a bit wrong. I know what you icky. mean. <laughs> leave, a, leave a bad taste in the mouth. Um, it was so an we're... incredible case, though. 
Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not surprised that he's sort of turned it. I, what I want to know is, is, is these like country and western songs, you know, like I turned up at the court one day. Like that. Is it going to like tell an actual story, or is it more like a, a, a metaphysical sort of interpretation of events? Like she drove me crazy. Like down the dirty on my sheets. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I just, I just want to know the I'm just trying to think of uh, Johnny Depp-related pop hits. I'm still pirating. <laughs> um, Edward Scissor Sisters. Yes, uh, yeah. nice. That's all I've got. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's quit while we're ahead, shall we? <laughs> I'm here all week. Uh, let's have a look at this next story, which is burning a hole in our pockets. And it's in The Guardian, and it's another TikTok trend with consequences, Steve. This is Frog Army Stunt. I mean, I'm on TikTok. I've never heard of this thing. I guess I'm not in the correct part of the algorithm. So there's been two TikTokers, probably what they're called. One of them saw loads of eggs in a pond and thought, I'm going to build a frog army. And another one thought, I've got a lot of ladybirds going on. And they've released them. Now, scientists are, uh, are now alarmed at the claims of releasing 10 million frogs in 100, and 100 million ladybugs into these areas. Now, in, he's got a, a small pond, and he said he was going to make a bigger pond for 10 million frogs. Have you run the stats on that, Einstein? Oh, How big a pond would you have to be? So the problem is, I mean, they're getting views on this, millions of views, but the idea of getting that many frogs and releasing them into an area is going to mess the area up. It's effectively saying, for TikTok likes, I will mess up an ecosystem. Yeah, Spencer, you're not having it. Not at all. This is an appalling thing. I don't know what the square footage is that a frog requires. And also, what is the roaming space of a frog? This person is not caring about the frogs. Like, how territorial are the frogs? What type of frog is it? And if you have these frogs, and what if they're the frogs that can change gender, you know, like the Jurassic Park frogs? Mm. And then they all just... Suddenly, 10 million frogs becomes, like, 40 million frogs. It's ridiculous. And just for TikTok likes, yeah, this person is going to absolutely waste an ecosystem wherever he puts all of these frogs. This is not a good thing. Let's hop to our next hey. story. Sticking with the Express, and Google seems to have a mind of its own with its recommendations, Steve. So Google users who search, this is Google Images, in case you want to do this at home, uh, search <laughs> for desk ornaments have found an interesting set of pictures which are uh, Nazi desk ornaments. I think we might have a photograph of this. Oh, good. That's so, a very regrettable yeah. search. Imagine you wow. just searching for desk ornaments and what does the algorithm know about me? That's, that's, the, is, that's, the, that's the last time we look at uh, the uh, photo library on Steve and Alice. <laughs> IPhone. But surely they could filter this out. That's what I don't understand, right? Yeah, I, I'm sure there are some Nazi desk ornaments, but isn't Google getting rid of them? I don't want to have to type in minus quote marks Nazi on every single search term to make sure they don't pop up. No, ideally not. Uh, well, on that rather inflammatory note, that brings <laughs> us to the end of the programme. My thanks to the brilliant Steve N. Allen and uh, Diane Spencer. And don't forget that this programme is stripped across the week. Seven days a week, that's right, at 11 o'clock. So do join us again tomorrow at 11. Thanks for listening to Headliners, the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode again. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a nice comment. Speak to you at the same time tomorrow for the paper review that's never boring.